0: Hello, everybody. Today, I am so excited to welcome Erin Olila. She is a conversion copywriter, copy coach, wingwoman, wordslinger, and no matter what you call her, she believes in the power of words and how a message can inform and even transform its intended audience. When she's not working with big brands and small businesses to marry strategy, storytelling, and SEO, you can find her hosting the Talk to Copy to Me podcast or exploring Southeastern Massachusetts with her family and friends. Erin graduated from Fairfield University with an MFA in creative writing, and then co-founded Spry Literary Journal, which celebrates undiscovered and established writers, concise, experimental, hybrid, modern, vintage, or just plain vulnerable writing. I love your bio. It's so fun. So much to dig in today. And thank you so much for being here. Thank you so
1: much for having me. It's so strange. Like we write these bios for ourselves, but we don't actually really hear them spoken to us. So like I was listening pretty captivated when you were saying that because I'm like, wow, I did that. Yeah, that was fun. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I do care about that, right? So it's like, I I recommend wholeheartedly to everyone, if you have a bio, go somewhere and let someone
0: else say it to you because it's really wild to hear it back. Yeah, and I mean, very clearly you're a copywriter because there's some great content in there too, but I'd love to, in your own words, hear a little bit more about you, your journey and what inspired you to start your business. Absolutely. So I actually, like you mentioned, I went to graduate
1: school to become a college professor in literary writing. My MFA was in creative nonfiction. And for my thesis, like my actual body of work, I wrote a collection of essays. And for my thesis project, like a dissertation, I studied how the social media Uh, what would you call them, like posts that we're all doing are actually creating our own little legacy, our own mini memoir based on like what we're writing about ourselves without even recognizing we're we're doing a legacy. So I loved even then, even when I thought I would be standing in front of a, a classroom of college kids, teaching them about like writing and storytelling. I loved that marketing and how we like, How we marketed ourselves was really like a vital role in the learning that I did in the studying that I did in school. But ask anyone who wants to be a college professor and they will tell you that you're either going to be paid nothing at all or you are going to work your tail off to get a tenured position. Now, while my MFA was a actual terminal degree, there's no PhD in creative writing specifically, and I could have gotten a college job. It was just a mess of difficulty. After my MFA, I had, I was just newly married. I had a stepson. So obviously his mom lives near us. I couldn't just pick my child and my husband up and move across the country to go teach at a random university. And I was working in human resources at the time. And I had to say to myself, like. What gives, right? Like you just paid tens of thousands of dollars to get a, a degree just because you wanted one. not because it was like my employer was like, Aaron, you need to you know get the next level here so you can make more money. No, I was just like, yeah, I want to do this. I really I really like to read and write. How can I do more of that? It relates um, so hard to just wanting another degree. <laughs> Oh, oh gosh, I would be a lifelong student if I could. You know, my husband jokes about that. He's like, you know, sometimes he'll be like, oh, I see that wistful look in your eye. Don't go apply for Ph.D. programs. You do not need to be a doctor. I was like, I think I do. I think I need to be a doctor. And he's like, you do not need to be a doctor. You only want to go get a Ph.D. so you can call yourself a doctor. I'm like, that's the truth. But still, but the the quick and dirty here is I was in a job that I had been in for over a decade, you know, a field, I should say, that wasn't quite me- meant for me. You know, mm-hmm. HR I- itself likes to posi- position itself as a, a department for the people when HR is really a department for the company. And I am very much a person for the people. So there was always this like friction in my work that I didn't feel like I was wholeheartedly in it. So again, got a degree in thought to myself, well, what the heck do I do now? You you spoke about it in my bio. I started a literary journal just to stay within this world of writing. And eventually, this is the time when personal blogging was really like a big deal. You know, people had their WordPress.com sites, blogspot sites, and they were writing about their day, the things they did, filling out memes. And I landed upon a really great job for a company that was writing SEO blogs for medium-sized businesses as their managing editor. And it was great. I mean, I learned so much in the early days of SEO Mm -hmm. that I now can take into my business that really sets me apart from a lot of my competitors. You know, the people that I, I... I'm friendly with that are also writers. They'll say like, "Well, I took this program or I did this thing." And I'm like, "Well, I got like 10 years of experience. Like, I have, you know how many times I've taken like Google like courses or programs or certifications." So that was a really pivotal moment for me. I didn't necessarily think it would be. I thought, "Well, thank goodness, I'm finally getting paid to do what I just paid tens of thousands for in my MFA." It felt very practical, right? Mm-hmm. But it was a really pivotal moment. I didn't think I'd ever work in the marketing field. I remember in my undergrad, specifically, not taking a marketing class because I did not want to learn how to use, like, an Adobe product. I was like, oh, that's the last thing I need. Like, I already have all these other majors and minors. I'm just going to skip that marketing class. I was in the marketing club, the American Marketing Association. But I just didn't think like my life would evolve where I am working with other businesses to position them and promote their businesses so they could find the right clients for them. And as corny as it sounds, like this is exactly where I want to be because I have, you know, remember I actually didn't mean to connect the dots here, but remember how I said HR didn't work for me because it was like there for the business and I was for the people? I think like here's why I love marketing. is like I'm for the people and the business at the same time, right? Like it's not my business, so there's no level of like protection that I'm trying to do for the company. It's just like as if I'm a cheerleader who is like, go business, yeah, 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 right? Whereas it's like I could just stand by and be like the cheerleader and like get these people in the eyes of who they need to be seen by to grow and further their business. And it's really everything I'd want to do.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. and it sounds like you're you kind of made the end goal of being a teacher too, right? Yes, Every I time. did. Yeah. <laughs> so the funny thing is when I started
1: my own business post managing editor, my tagline was it was I'm going to throw some air quotes on this, very creative, but it was write, teach, strategize. Cause those were the three things that, like, I really wanted to do. Like, I loved writing. I wanted to also teach people how to do it. And then the strategy just falls in between the two. And now that I'm here in this role, I'm like, wow, all of these things that I, Wanted have still come into play, right? You know, like I can still have that, like standing in front of a classroom when I'm really just in a Zoom room with one of my co- clients doing copy coaching with them. Or I can still have that, like, you know, like let's put on a beret and smoke cigarettes and drink alcohol and write as if I'm like Ernest Hemingway <laughs> yeah. when I'm sitting down and writing for my clients, which I don't do any of those things, but berets don't look good on me. But the point is, it's like I'm, I really. have to remind myself sometimes, you know, we, we all get frustrated in our jobs, even if we like them. But I have to remind myself, like, everything just came together so nicely for me. We don't see that as we're doing the journey. We see these moments where we're overwhelmed, right? We see these moments where we're like, why is everything so hard? Like, I have to be like a bookkeeper and a marketer and a practitioner in our own businesses. But I think that when we can kind of look back at our own journey, things come together very nicely if we allow them to just come come together.
0: Yeah. One of my favorite parts of doing the podcast is having these, you know, this, this initial conversation where people tell me how they got to where they are. Because very rarely i don't know if i've ever had someone say oh yeah i decided to be a copywriter i wanted to be a copywriter when i was six years old and now i'm a copywriter but like that has never happened and i think that there's something so inspiring about hearing those stories and then seeing that reassurance that you may not even this may not even be it yet like you don't even know what could be next and where things are going to lead you to and i think that's very exciting and I think when we
1: look at like ourselves as a kid, and or or even like you know as a teenager, and what we think we might want to do, there are many ways that we can kind of find these little sparks of those things in our life, right? So I think like little kid Erin really thought she'd be in, standing in front of a classroom, and like I mentioned, I'm doing it. It's just in a different way. I think teenage Erin really thought that I'd be like writing multiple, multiple books, sitting down every day and kind of just like writing the chapters. And in truth, that doesn't appeal to me right now. But I've written three books. Last year, I think 2020 or 2021, I wrote two books for a client as a ghostwriter. And before that, during my master's program, I was a co-editor of a different book. And it was great. Those projects were great, right? So There are sparks that we can see that we might have thought we would do, and it's fine. I think a lot of people beat themselves up because they say, Mm -hmm. well, I'm not where I would want to be right now, or this isn't what I thought I'd be doing. But I think if we just kind of take where we are and accept it with grace and reflect on why you wanted that thing in the first place, like why did you think you wanted to own your own company or why did you think you wanted to do this type of industry work, we find that it's not necessarily the simple straight trajectory that we need, right? It is that there are things that we can take. Maybe we liked when it comes to the idea of owning a company, just as an example, Mm -hmm. maybe it's because you really didn't love having a boss, that you are the type of person that likes to kind of forge the way. And if you don't own a company right now, maybe another great job for you could be like an OBM or an integrator or something in someone else's business that, you're able to put on that kind of like CEO hat and help other people who don't have those same skills. Right. So I just I like to like remind people whether there's no straight line or whether that straight line is a very wiggly to get to the point where you are now. There are definitely things that we can take from who we thought we'd be and just really like own in who we are.
0: Yeah, I, I mean that's that's exactly what it is, and I love the idea of of giving that kind of mentorship to teenagers, especially. as I used to tutor. That's one of the ways I got into this te- my business type of work, and you know they're getting to that point where they're so stressed out about college and what they're going to do next. It was a it was a very elite all girls school, so of course it was just like a pressure cooker. And at the time, I was working in the nonprofit space. I was in their annual fund. I graduated with a degree in biomedical engineering. So I was like, guys, it's okay. Like take a breather, you know, like let's same thing. Like this does not need to be a decision that impacts the rest of your life because you're going to learn so much every place you go, every opportunity you have for the people you're around, from the classes you're in. So just take all those pieces and build it into something that's really meant for you. Yeah. And I'd
1: say most of the people I know are not doing what they thought that they would do. Like I I definitely have a, even though I'm not doing exactly what I thought, my line is much straighter than the people that I know. But what, but exactly what you said is true for them, that what they learned in school, in their college programs benefited, or even in their job, it doesn't have to be that they went to college. It could be like a job that they spent a lot of time time in, really benefits Mm -hmm. their current profession or personal life. You know, my husband studied finance and he doesn't work in finance right now. But like the guy is a genius, right? (laughs) Like I'm very grateful for him because I didn't study finance and I don't have that DNA of knowing things well enough. But I mean, it benefits our life so much. And it benefits like, you know, like his friends will come and ask like questions on how does this, what does this even mean? You know, like the common person by bone to pick with at least American education is we're really not taught personal finance at all. You know, so again, that's just using him as an example. Poor guy doesn't love to be talked about, but he's getting talked about on this podcast today. But even myself working in human resources, and I also worked as well in the nonprofit, same type of company, it was mental health and drug rehabilitation, and as a case manager. So I have this like psych background and like administrative background. And you'd think that that doesn't play any role in a copywriting job. Oh, but boy, it does Mm -hmm. because, you know, for those nine or 10 years, actually, no, I think it was 13 years I worked in like the psych part of like case management. I studied people. Right. And does that mean I am licensed or does that mean I'm a counselor? No way, shape or form. But I also really had to understand like the psychographics, what makes people tick, what makes them make certain decisions. When it comes to HR, that really helped me kind of put more of that CEO hack. Cause again, that's something else for me that wasn't DNA like. Like I didn't ever grow up thinking I was going to be in charge of myself. Like I just kind of assumed I would do the work because that's what I always did. I don't I I don't have this monstrous entrepreneurial spirit. I love it now, but it's not natural let's say.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So but there are times now like even just recently I did an overhaul of my project management like systems and how I use it and how I can use it more effectively. But I have those skills from the like decade that I spent working in admin jobs where I was able to create SOPs and create guidebooks of like you know the employee handbooks and things like that because that's what I did in other jobs. So again, looking at where you are, if, if you're not exactly happy in that spot, or it feels like you're not where you're supposed to be there, are look at all of those steps that got you to where you are. And I guarantee you're going to be able to find things that help you move past this, or to help like make whatever, you know, job you are right now, whatever business you own better, because of all those life experiences.
0: Yeah. And Every place is an opportunity to learn. So that's that's awesome. I want to jump back to something you said about your what's your your thesis or your that final project about the legacy on Instagram? Yeah. That sounded so interesting. And I, yeah. I think about that quite often of like, what is the like how am I gonna be as a 50 year old looking back on Instagram, if it even exists at that time? But yeah, just what that all that content is gonna do.
1: Yeah, I didn't factor SEO into it when I did this because it was, again, I hadn't even gotten the job yet to even understand what SEO was. But now looking at it, I guess it's been, let's see, when did I graduate? 10 years ago? but. Looking back at the past 20 years of social media, there's so much to say about like the truth in the project. You know, I took the project as a hypothesis and as an approach of like, hmm, why do we say the things that we say? Like, what's the intention here? There's a lot of psych that went into it. Like when you're posting, like, what's the point of posting? Are you posting so that way you are creating reminders for yourself that you can look back on, unhappy memories? Are you posting for attention so that you can get attention from the people in your life? If so, why? There's And we all do. There's absolutely mm-hmm. no judgment here. But if so, what kind of attention do you need? How can you adjust the present to not need that attention later in the future? Um, so there are so many aspects to the study of why we post what we do. But in the reality of the project, the end goal and presenting it, you know, as the dissertation, it's we are creating a legacy personally and professionally. If I were to dive right after this podcast episode, everything that I say on any social platform and not just social platforms, but in my website, on the blogs that I write in the podcast that I'm on as guests, this is a legacy that we're not going to be able to erase. So Are you happy with the legacy that you've created? Mm -hmm. Um, And if not, or even if so, like, how can you adjust or refine that moving forward? The problem with the world today is there is, and this is coming from a content strategist and (laughs) copywriter, friends. But the problem with the Internet and the world and the online business is that there is way too much content. We do not need the content that's been created. But what's been like drilled into us in the past 10 years or 15 years is create content, create content, create content. And it's not good. Not all of it is good, right? But what we create is a permanent record. So think back in your parents' days or your grandparents' days there was no there was no social media there was no like blogging or websites that people had like a permanent record created of whatever it was that they decided to create so people could go out and live their lives and not that they didn't live a legacy in memories or maybe like let's say they had a permanent legacy because they wrote like their own actual memoir right that they passed down to their children but there was no public legacy created for our parents it's really just our generation because of the rise of social media so now though that we're using these platforms or the you know websites for our business we have a two prong legacy that we're leaving there's the personal posting. And that might be the truest form of like your own legacy for your family, your friends. But then there's this public persona, our branding and the legacy that that creates. So it kind of goes back to how sometimes like I try to lecture my clients that it is great to repel people with our content as well as attract them because we want the right people to be in our sphere. We want to work with the right people. But when we look at our legacy, like we don't want to just be seen as yes, people. We want to kind of stake a claim, right? I think everyone, if they could imagine that they're at the end point of their life, can look at all this content that they've created, whether they're doing it purposefully or personally, I guess, purposefully or personally. When they look at this content, I think the real question is, is like, is this a reflection of who I am? And is this what I wanted to spend my life putting out there? You know, I've created a of content in my day, working for really, really huge brands. And even all the way to like the tiny businesses I like tend to work with now. not that the content I created was bad. But I also do have to reflect back on, like, if the, if this is the only glimpse my grandchildren maybe will get about who I am as a person, does this give them enough of a glimpse? And, you know, we talk so much about personal branding in the marketing world. I think that people people understand that clearly because they're like, oh yeah, my Instagram highlights has this like one highlight that it's like, here's who I am. And like, it shares like, you know, like, a few personal facets of you you know but that's a blip right that's a like a quarter of a percentage of what people may see as an accumulation of who you are in a bit as a person so if we just look at like what we're told now about personal branding about storytelling about how to show up for our audience i think a good question is is like are you showing up the way that would reflect the best on yourself, that you can look back on and feel proud for, that you can know that you've, you know, if we're all creating educational content, let's say, or we're all mm-hmm. taught, like, r- write how-to post, right? Answer FAQ questions. Not that there's anything wrong with it. I say things like that all the time. But but when we do that, that education you're giving, are you just being repetitive of, of everyone else's ideas or are you like really encouraging people to learn in a new way or to grasp the subject matter in the way that you can explain it best? And the funny thing is, I feel like we got like to this like high big point in the podcast, but I don't want to confuse people to think that when they sit down to create something, they need to like take this like mind frame of like, is this the best that I could possibly (laughs) create? Because that's actually the opposite advice I would give. My advice is make it as simple and easy as possible for yourself to create the content. But you do it knowing you're doing it like truly from yourself, Mm -hmm. like you're doing it Because this is what you believe in, because this is the best advice that you have. Because you know like you want to stake a claim in this whatever you know topic you're talking about. So don't think of content creation or copywriting or marketing as like this big lofty like end-of-life thing. Just think. Like, how can I make this as simple, as easy as possible for me, but do it in a way that feels good? Because if you approach any of it from a way that feels good, that end stuff that we're talking about, like that, that big life reflection is going to
0: still feel good, is still going to reflect on you in the right way.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I was taking notes because there were so many good things in there that I wanted to, to jump back on. The intentionality of it. I mean, that's my word of twenty twenty three is being intentional, and so I love thinking about that in all aspects of my life, including creating content. Is this intentional? What is the purpose behind this? And is it true to the story that I want to tell, and the and the people I want to serve? So I think it's such a good reminder. And yes, you can take it really, really big picture, but also bringing it down to like the practical, everyday approach to how to build that legacy. The other thing I loved you talking about was really staking a claim, and I feel like this is might be a little scary for some people because yeah. they don't want to tip people off. And you said it right off the bat, like people might not like you, and that's okay. But how do you encourage a client to to stake that claim and stick with it?
1: Maybe it's because I tend to lecture people. I don't know. I know I say that as a joke, but I I think that the best advice that I can give here is. You know, if you just look at life in general and you look at people that you meet, you know, from friends, from your partners, from networking events, I think people understand there are some people that you click with better than others, right? If we keep it that simple and understand that we're not going to always please everyone, you can take some of the emotion away from it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I say that as a person who feels strong emotions about not... Having everyone love me, which sounds so silly. I'm an Enneagram too. And I think it really describes me pretty well. Like I love to please others. I love to serve others. I love to make everything better for the people in my life. And I am very social. Like I like to meet new people. I love to connect with them. So in the past, in my life, and I share this just for the sake of saying like, it's not just a lecture, right? In the past, when people haven't liked me, especially when I was younger, like early 20s, I just remember being shocked. Like, what did I do? Like, what's wrong? Because I was so fortunate to kind of keep meeting people within the same networks, right? Mm -hmm. So like, you know, you like attracts like. So I'd meet these really awesome people. They'd introduce me to other awesome people. So it was just a fortune and luck that I really had a great, a great spree of nice people I was meeting. And not that the people that didn't like me weren't nice. I, I want to make that very clear. But I'm not for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. I think sometimes of what I've learned about myself, where people haven't liked me is that they haven't trusted me because I am, I am not someone that they're used to. I'm excitable and that might come across as fake to someone because you know, I remember meeting someone once and I found out like their partner was pregnant and I was like, "Congratulations." Like it's like the best news I've ever heard. And I think that that turned them off because they were like, "We don't we don't know each other." Like, "Why is this girl so excited that, that like we're going to have a baby?" But that's just me, right? Mm-hmm. And so anyway, the whole point here is I get how hard it might feel to feel like you're not liked or to feel like you're putting people off because as a human, that's just kind of something that's always driven me, wanting to be liked, wanting to help, you know, enjoying connection. But we are not meant for everyone. And I think if, especially service providers that are listening, when, when you think back on the clients that didn't have a great experience and you struggled through those projects, I guarantee almost part of the reason that you guys didn't work well together was because you weren't a good fit. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think of one of the, one client that I had and, you know, I could just tell right off the bat, like, we weren't clicking, which was a, a weird thing. Like, usually, like, I get on a discovery call with someone and I'm like, oh, I love this person. This is going to be great, right? But there was no click in our connection Uh, I think we respected each other, but the problem was we just kind of hit friction over friction because we couldn't actually make that connection. I didn't want my future projects to be like that. So for me, that was a really clear indicator that connection is a big deal, at least for me and my business. So if I get on a discovery call with someone and I feel like, are they listening to me? Or like, I don't even know enough about their business. I'm going to stop that call and say like, let me ask a couple more direct questions. Or like, if they can't answer them in a way that I feel like we're going to work well, I'll say to them like, you know what, I just don't think we're a great fit for this project, but I can, I'm can, i happily to give you other recommendations to other copywriters you might want to connect with. Because, I wish I actually knew the number now, I'd sound so impressive, but there's like a ton of people in this world, right? And there are a ton of people who are looking for your very Mm -hmm. like profession at this exact moment i think the media is created to scare us right like right now in time we hear recession 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 and i am not saying that it doesn't affect me at all or doesn't make me feel anxiety or fear but i am not the only copywriter in the world and every if everyone who needed a copywriter called me I would be so overwhelmed like I would just quit because there's no way that I could provide a service to everyone who needed it. I couldn't even do a percentage. So I think sometimes it's reminding yourself like what are what's my bandwidth, right? How how many people can I serve? And then thinking to yourself, well, if I can position myself so that I am attracting the right people and I am repelling all of those wrong people who would never be a good fit then it's going to be so much easier for me to fill those seats of the people that I can serve because you're not worried about the other half that doesn't even want to work with you or that wouldn't like you and there's so many ways to do this like when i say stake your claim i i do believe i personally think people should have value statements on their websites i think that people and Besides that, there are many ways to share values without like going crazy into like socioeconomic things. I think it could be as simple as maybe a social media post that talks about for me recently, I just did a guest lecturing at Clark University to talk about like literary journalism. So I did a social media post to talk about how it is very important to me to teach younger people about the arts because I was so fortunate to grow up in a home where my parents didn't laugh at me when I said I wanted to go to school to study language arts. I heard a lot of other people be like, well, what the heck are you going to do with language arts? Right. But my parents always promoted for me to just do what I wanted to do because they believed in me. So for me to stand in front of a classroom of these like teeny boppers, and I can say that I have a 16 year old son who, (laughs) you know, who's entering this field. But it's very important for me to be like, yeah, get that literary arts degree. Don't let people hold you back. Like my MFA, while it was expensive and I joked about this and I'm not necessarily doing exactly what I thought I would. It was one of the best experiences of my entire life and taught me so much, even things that weren't the exact lesson of the classroom. I just take those lessons into my everyday. So, just as the example of that's a value thing, right? Like, I like to teach people who are younger, I like to encourage people. So, we can bring these little facets of our personal life through storytelling. into our social, into our emails, into our website. And I think that doing those things, the people who also care about them are going to be like, wow, that's great. Oh, I love that Erin teaches young kids. If someone else sees that and they're like, why is she talking about this? Like, I don't care about like literary journalism. Like, she's a a website copywriter. I just want to do SEO stuff with her. They're not for me, right? right? Because like, if if they're going to be that turned off that I'm hanging out with the young kids of the world for one day, then they're not, we're just not going to work well together.
0: And that's great,
1: right? Yep. Like it's literally just being willing to not be liked by everyone is a blessing that you can give yourself.
0: Yeah, I mean, sometimes in the, in the group coaching program, I've seen it like we celebrate unsubscribes. We celebrate people who don't follow sometimes, right? Because- you want to be talking to the people who are going to be excited with you. And when I see other productivity coaches in the world, I think of that as proof of concept, right? That means that there is, and a need exists, same with copywriting, same with anybody's position, any entrepreneur. If you see other people in your space, that means that there's a need for it, but no one's going to do it the way you do it. No one's going to say it the way you say it. And so just keep putting yourself out there. And we always, joke, anyone who's scared of putting themselves out there about online bullying or anything was like. The day you get a troll is like the day you've made it. If you can get someone's attention enough or they have data they time and energy to say something negative, damn, you've made it. Yeah. Congratulations. Congratulations. Delete the comment, move on with your life. It's not the end of the world. So I think that it's really important. I completely agree. It's really important to state that claim to find something that you're really passionate about within your field, within your niche and lean into that to attract the right people.
1: Yeah. I love that you mentioned unsubscribes because I think that's the easiest and clearest way for people to kind of absorb and understand this lesson. So I founded a literary journal. We talked about that. We just celebrated 10 years mm-hmm. in December. It's still up and running. We've It's been great. But... Do you know how many rejections that I have sent in ten years? Tens of thousands, probably. So let's just—I'm totally making this number up right now—but let's just say we get about eight hundred submissions, maybe a thousand. That's an easy number. A thousand submissions for every issue that we publish. We only publish about twenty-five pieces wow. in those in that issue. Now. Some of them are definitely withdrawn because of simultaneous submission. So that does affect the number. But just to go easy, let's just say 900 rejections, maybe. Again, making these numbers up. Mm -hmm. But that's 10 years now that I've sent hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rejections. And the reason why I think I got really comfortable with rejection is the fact that I reject so much great stuff great stuff. Maybe I'm rejecting it because we have something that has like the same topic within the issue that we've already accepted. Maybe I'm rejecting it because we had something in the last issue that was too similar. Maybe I'm rejecting it just because I think while it's it's almost there, like I would totally publish this, but the ending falls flat, right? Mm-hmm. There's a ton of reasons why incredible stuff gets rejected. So I think personally, after sending so many rejections, I realized myself like, rejection's not rejections can have no reflection on you at all. So when we look at an unsubscribe as an example, if you look at it that same way, like this is not a reflection on me, even though like you feel like it is because you wrote the email, it could be that that person woke up and had just me. For example, I was so sick last month. I had started the year at inbox zero. Even while I was sick in the beginning of the month, I kind of kept it very close to inbox zero. But mid-month, while I was still sick, I got all the up the all the way up to like nine hundred emails in my like in email account. And I just remember being like I am so tired of this. Like I feel like I it's an actual part-time job just mm. to delete emails these days and I'm not reading them and I am unsubscribed to a ton of names that I didn't recognize. Funny, part of the story is one of those people whose names I didn't recognize is someone whose course I was working through at the time that I had got through a bundle and I loved it. So when I went back into my email I'm like why am I not getting emails from this person? You know why? Because I unsubscribed just because I didn't recognize like the name that was in there. And I loved their course, I've, you know, which I think is a little rare in this business world. Like to mm-hmm. really feel like, wow, this is great, like super value for this. So, you know, someone could wake up, be cranky. Someone could be sick with the 900 emails and just be tired of it. And it has nothing to do with you. And if they want to, they will resubscribe. So... Don't let that kind of hold you down because I think I hear that all the time. It's a really easy thing to say like, oh, my Instagram numbers are down or, oh, like I lost Twitter followers or, oh, my gosh, I sent out this email where I actually did state my values and 40 people dropped off. Cool. Those 40 people, if they can't like swing with your values, you don't want to work with them. Right. Right. Like, imagine saying something like like something you wholeheartedly believe in, especially like something that is more socioeconomical, right? And saying, like, I'm going to stand firm on this. Like, this is like a driving force. I really believe in this cause. And then 40 people leaving. If it's something you really believe in and it makes a huge impact to your life those 40 people are not good people to work with. Like, sayonara, see you later. Don't come back. Don't resubscribe. <laughs> I hope you have a wonderful life. You want to work with people who feel good to work with. And the best way to do that, again, just reverting to what you had
0: reminded me of is stake your claim. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm just laughing along too, because I I don't know, maybe it's the Leo in me or something, but I like to take very little personally, so I I just kind of assume it's always about the other person for better or worse. I'm not saying that that's like always a good trait, but that's what I think of when there someone I see someone unsubscribe from my email list. I'm like, okay, you know, it must have been a day when forty other people decided to send an email and they got overwhelmed and annoyed and just unsubscribed from everybody. So it's all again going right back to the very beginning. It's all something. It's all information for us to learn from and, totally. and to, to tweak and play around with it and get to have fun in our business and attract the people we want to and kind of shake off the people that we don't. But I definitely want to dive into some of the behind the scenes, personal productivity of your life, because you also mentioned right out of the gate that you did a project management overhaul. And so we must talk about that. Yeah, um, sure. But before that, can you walk us through like a normal day or week in your oh. life? Oh, yeah. I I I always say normal. Buckle up, everyone, because
1: my normal (laughs) is so abnormal. When I started my business, I started my business having, again, my stepson lives with us and he's always been with us. And he was maybe, I don't know, gosh, like 10 when I started my business, 9 or 10. And my first child was one years old. And, you know, I was picking him up from school every day of course, during nap time, all the time, working at home. I was so lucky to be working remotely way back in the day to be able to do all these things. And it But between my husband's schedule, a change at the company I was working for, and all of these other things, it just got to the point where I was like, if I, I can do this for myself, like, It is so hard to juggle all of these things. So, I started the business with a tiny little baby. I don't even know if she was one about that age. And let me, this kid didn't sleep, I swear to God, until she was five years old. So, I started my business literally living on about 40 minutes of sleep a night. And I was, again, fortune was, you know, shined her light on me because I was lucky to get some great clients right away, to get some retainer work. But I say all of this because it's very key in how my, Current life is. I had another baby after this, and I, after having that child. So I really wanted to keep my kids home with me. That was a a very clear decision when it came to parenting that I didn't want to send them to daycare not that I have any problem with it I just wanted to do I wanted to have it all right like I <laughs> wanted to, I wanted to be a professional I wanted to own my own company and all the jazz that came from that I wanted to be a full-time mom I wanted to do the Pinterest crafts if we want to have some fun with this I even homeschooled for a few years within this pre-pandemic too but I wanted to have it all and I just think You know, I I blame my parents for making me believe that I could do anything. (laughs) Remember I said that? I blame them, Don and Sin, because I did. I thought I could do everything. And I four. We're working on seven years in August that I'll be self-employed full-time. And a short time before that where I was working and freelancing. And I've had my children home with me full-time the entire time. This is the last year of that. I never ever in my life thought that I would one day work without children. My youngest will be starting preschool in the fall. And it's Incredible. It's awesome. I've loved that I've had this time, but it's been so hard. And I think that anyone who parented during the pandemic could probably feel what my life is like in in a sense of having to like juggle everything. But I wake up usually my mornings, I'm not a morning person, which is totally fine because I have learned to live in the best like cycle of sleep yep. that I can, mm-hmm. right? I stay up extremely late at night and I work extremely late into the morning. And then I sleep in late and I chill on the couch. I play blocks with my little youngest. We do our homeschool preschool program. And then sometime around lunch, I'm like, okay, I think I could do some work now. So I I, I do what I call a split shift. I do a little work in the afternoons. Then my kids come home from school and I go back to mom mood until about bedtime. And then after everyone's gone to bed, I do my second split shift, which is the longer shift. And I work every day until about one or two in the morning. And then I go to bed and I sleep really hard until I wake up the next day. So it is super abnormal. Like people hear that and I feel like they want to hug me and be like, oh, you poor thing. You're working until one or two in the morning, but it works really well for me. If anything, I have a lot of like anxiety of like, what's going to happen come September when these kids are in school? Like everything in my whole life changes. Like I've done this for seven years, lived on no sleep. Like all of these things happening. And I feel like I'm either going to collapse into a bed for probably two years straight where I do nothing except hibernate, or I'm going to literally become a superhuman, like like Superman, Kate, everything, because it's going to be like so much time built into my day that I'm going to work like eight jobs at once or something. I don't know, but I will report back come this fall. So you can add that to the show notes.
0: Yes, please do. And I love this though, because I love seeing the, the behind the scenes, the different schedules. And some people are a night people like that's, that's when they're most focused is when no one's bothering you. For me, it's, it's an income thing, right? Like you're, you're not, there's less stuff coming at you to have to respond to. So you can just think clear, work faster. So I, I think that's, I think that's great. And I'm laughing because I think I actually wrote a post. It was a while ago, but it was about like being that person who has it all and just being, (laughs) believe it so strongly like yeah I can do that of course I can like so oh um, yeah I've learned to understand and I am
1: a work in progress here like I am not a professional at this but I have learned to understand that capacity and boundaries and Mm -hmm. bandwidth are something that I need to factor in when I make decisions earlier I mentioned like oh this uh, xyz doesn't come natural to me this is something that is so abnormal to me i have adhd i have i proudly have adhd which is partially why AD- people with adhd are known to become have like a later sleep cycle mm-hmm. so i do think that is why that i fall asleep much later than most people and i sleep later in the morning i'm just my times pushed back right but i like this is why it works I just don't actually have that skill or that natural intention to, to look down at my to-do list or like project management stuff and say, do I have time to do this <laughs> additional project? You no, know, like I get on a, a discovery call and I've I've gotten so much better about this. But like I'll get on a discovery call or like a like a reconnection call with a former client and they're like, Oh, Erin, could you just make a couple updates on this page? I want to add some press stuff on my press page. And I'm like, sure, you wanna do it tomorrow? But then I look at my calendar. And I have to kind of like train myself to recognize I don't have the capacity to do this. You know, pre-pandemic, I was homeschool. I I have a homeschool preschool program that I just adore. It is like the funnest thing to be like, have like a clear intention every day. We do X, Y, Z. It's all play-based. But then the pandemic happened. And at the time, I had a middle schooler and a preschooler. And then through the pandemic, I decided to do a full traditional homeschool kindergarten program. And my middle schooler, I think, had become a high schooler that year, too. Again, all at home. So I didn't recognize that I couldn't work the same way I've worked. Because now, not only are we doing play school, like, we are doing everything. And yeah. homeschooling a kindergartner is a lot of work. Boy, the pressure is on. I think I'd homeschool a high schooler over a <laughs> kindergartner any day because, like, you have to teach them the foundations of everything. Like, I went to school for, for writing and an MFA, and I will tell you, I just stared at my middle child to be like who teaches people how to read like I have no clue how this works like I have so many degrees like my undergraduate I had like multiple like bachelor it's like who mm-hmm. teaches people how to do this and I had a like a I paid for a full program like this wasn't like mom just trying to figure out how to like teach your kids things like no no I had lesson plans but I forgot that I couldn't be a teacher, be a full-time mom, Mm -hmm. be a a publisher of a literary journal, be a speaker on stages, be someone who did services for my clients and created products because I just don't have the inherent skills as a person with ADHD to recognize capacity. So that was a really great wake-up call for me. I'm not perfect. I am. I struggle with this on a daily basis, but I have gotten drastically better. So, you know, we talk about, like, the name of your podcast, for an example. If there's anything I've learned in my business... It has really, truly been to lean into understanding capacity. I think it's going to take me a while to learn this lesson as well as I'd like to, where it becomes a little more natural. And I think I can. One thing I can say for sure about ADHD is when you create systems for... Well, I can't say you. I can say me. When I create systems Mm. for myself, I can do things with ease. If I do not have a system it's as if I have no clue how to like pick up a fork, which sounds so silly. But like, you know, in my brain, I have to say like, look at fork, put fingers on it, lift it off the table. Like that's a system. It sounds so silly. But without it, I'm like, I don't know how to do this thing that all of you humans seem to know how to do just fine. So we talk about like overhauling my project management system. Yeah, please. Over these years, I've learned what works, what doesn't work. Uh, again, the ADHD thing that works really well for me is to do list, like detailed to do mm-hmm. list that other people look at and they're like, "Why do you have sixty-seven steps for one blog post?" And I'm like, "Well, because there are sixty-seven steps, folks, right?" Mm-hmm. But this is this, like si- like they see it as sit down, write the blog post, but I have to break it down. <clears throat> excuse me, into the most minutia thing of like. What's the title? Where are the images? What's the introduction? What are your like main points like outline wise? What are you going to say in those outline areas? What's your SEO keyword? Did you put it in the SEO title tag? Did you put it in the meta description? So these are all like questions, but that's what I mean by my process. My brain works well like that. I know other people's don't, but I had to... You can only use paper and pen to-do list for so long when we talk about capacity and Mm -hmm. things like that, right? So one way that I think really changed everything for me was when I quote-unquote automated my podcast work through my project management system of just kind of making the subtasks be those different categories. Okay, we're in the prep phase. Here's what we do in the prep phase, and there's like five subtasks. The next phase is recording, let's just say, five subtasks. But the reason it works so well is I always knew exactly what to do. I didn't sit down at my computer with my ADHD brain and say, hmm, like, what, what am I doing today? Like, because then I have to, like, sort through my email. I have to look at my paper to-do list. I I have to figure out. I have to build this system. Whereas if it's already on paper... And like as, as silly as it sounds, if my project management system says to me, Erin, you're in the record phase. You have these five tasks that need to be completed in the record phase. I do them. Which again, for for a neurotypical person, like you, you might hear this and be like, are you kidding me, Erin? Like this whole conversation, I thought, wow, she's really smart. She's really intelligent. And now you're telling me you need like a project management tool to tell no, you to it's do five so things. Good. Oh, I need it though. Like, and again, I it was freeing for me. Once I, once I was able to digitize my brain on paper, it was so freeing. Like I went from feeling like, why can't I do this? Like, why am I so pathetic in the sense that like I can't do the job that I'm doing really damn well, but why can't I? To all of a sudden being like, yeah like, like sure, I can get this done today because I know my day's not overtaxed. Or I know I have a lot of things that need to get done that like maybe my creative brain can't step in because these are all like task-based or tech-based or something to that effect. So it's it's been totally freeing for me to have a system that kind of directs me. Like, you know, I mentioned not being like having that SEO, I mean, excuse me, the CEO skill. Well, my project management is kind of like my fractional integrator, right? So like, I kind of ideate as much as I can because I love to ideate and I throw it all in this tool and then the tool spits out back at me like you have 73 tasks today and I'm like, Hmm. Thank you, <laughs> Fractional Integrator. I cannot actually complete 72 tasks today. So let's move things around. So yes, doing that has completely been freeing and has really like instilled a lot of confidence within myself to make to know that like all of these things I know I can accomplish. I can. I just have to do it in a way that is strategic.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What tool are you in? this is where the fun part of the conversation. I am currently using Asana. Um, Asana. For the for the longest time, I lived between three tools, though. Milano, Asana, and ClickUp. Then I decided Milano was lovely. It was everything I needed it to be in, in the sense of like a paper to-do list, but it was 100% manual. Like There was zero um, automation built into it. And I, I used it for years. And finally, I'm like, this is just as hard as writing a paper to-do list. Like, I can't do this anymore. So then I lived between Asana and ClickUp. Now, I like Asana's interface so much more than I like ClickUp's. And I like ClickUp's tools or like ability more than I like Asana. So for a while last year, I lived in both. And I kept trying to say, like, well, how do I like to use this best? And I thought for a long time that I might use ClickUp for my content management in the sense of, like, you know, the storage of social media posts or like reoccurring reminders to do things at certain points of the year. But the problem with ClickUp for me is that I can't like click a box and have it like put a line through my task. Mm. And as silly as that sounds, it is like a physical need for me. Again, I think this really goes back to the ADHD. It is a physical need to cross out a task and see that I have completed it. So as much as I really gave my whole heart to ClickUp last year, I built a beautiful system. The reason that I left is so that I could cross things out. And it sounds so silly, but now that I am using Asana for the to-do list, for all of all of the things that I actually built out beautifully in ClickUp, and I can cross things out, here's the key. I actually use Asana right? Because with ClickUp, I had a beautiful system that I didn't use. So now that I have Asana and I actually like use it, like that's how you know it's working because I don't mind going in there and crossing out the things that I have to do.
0: Asana also has like a like a little like a unicorn or something. Oh, yeah. yeah.
1: Unicorns and cats, actually. Yeah. You
0: know, tab B and then cats will come on your screen. Yeah, that's good. I'm I'm happy to hear that. And I think that this is so trans, it translates well to anyone and everybody. It doesn't have to just be neurodivergent people. You, I love the idea of seeing all of the smaller broken down steps, because that's also what helps people stop procrastinating, right? It gives you like that spot to start so that you're not looking at create, create a podcast episode. You're looking at, oh, all I have to do today is one, two, three, right? Instead of yeah. one to 15. So I absolutely love that. Um,
1: It also really helped me understand of what I could get rid of too. Yeah, you know, like I something that is also doesn't come naturally is the idea that I don't have to do everything. You know, we talk about this really, I I think this is like Aaron in a nutshell, like I can homeschool, I can raise babies, I can have (laughs) be a CEO. Well, I also think that like I can do all of the tasks in my business, but CEOs do not do all of the tasks in their business. And that is something, again, that I've had to learn and had to work through. But what happened, again, my podcast was really helpful for that. For me to be able to be like, holy macaroni, it takes a long time to edit. It takes a long time to just do some of the admin stuff to make sure, Mm -hmm. you know, things are in certain folders, people have been contacted. So once I broke it down into every single step and then I did a whole bunch of episodes 100% on my own, I was like, oh, I see the value in hiring this out. Like, oh, please take this part from me. You can have that. You can have this part. And I'm just going to sit here and talk for a while. But it wasn't until I did the work that I was able to, one, clearly identify who I needed and for what. Because there are things that I still do for my podcast that I could easily have hired out, but I enjoy it. So I just Mm -hmm. continue. But that was a big lesson because I think without having all of the little steps out, I would Be doing a lot more hard work versus kind of you know sharing the work with with other people now. Yeah,
0: I am hiring out on my podcast is one of the next steps, but I do think it's really valuable to see the whole process all at once to get an understanding of what you're looking for. So I completely agree. But outsourcing is hard. It's scary. It's giving someone else a big piece of your heart, your business, and it's allowing someone else into your brain. So yeah, glad that you are starting to recognize that you don't have to do it at all. It's Um, a work in progress. It's a work in progress. We all are. That's great. All right. I want to ask you three rapid fire questions and then I'll have you share where everyone can reach out to you, learn more about you and work with you if they're interested in copywriting, content, SEO, all the things. Okay. Perfect. I'm ready. So I think you've already kind of answered this. A morning person or night person?
1: Night person, 100%.
0: (laughs) Paper and pen or all digital.
1: Oh, the, the, the true Erin, the heart of me wants paper and pen. But, you know, I'm really I have grown to love digital
0: everything. Yeah, I think it's important. And what's your favorite way to relax? Oh, well, I wish I knew how to relax. <laughs> OK, so th- that's
1: not true. I've been working on this actually the past couple of years. I think it's reading. Um, I mm-hmm. didn't read for a very long time after my MFA program. To be honest, I read a- hundreds of books while I was studying for my MFA took a little time off from reading. Then I had kids and it was impossible for me to segment my time. Now that they were a little older, I really started reading again about two years ago. And it has been such a blessing to kind of just stop thinking about the things I have to do and just kind of immerse myself in a world that someone else has created for me.
0: I love that. Good for you. That's a great way to relax. Um, All right. Where could everybody follow you and follow along for more?
1: Well, we are already on a, pod- a podcast right now, so like, don't leave the app. Head on over to my show. It's called Talk Copy to Me. I would love to kind of talk with people about all of their marketing and messaging stuff and have just fun conversations. But if you are done listening to podcasts for the day, if you're like, Erin, no thanks, this was a long episode, I hung out with you for long enough, come find me on my website, it is erinolilla.com, and my plug for this now is, like, you don't need to know how to spell my name correctly to find me, because Google and I are buds, like, that's the power of SEO, when Google knows who you are and can recognize you, people can chop up the spelling of your name completely, and Google's smart enough to be like, Oh, Erin? Erin Olilla? Yeah, but she's got lots of L's on her last name. Like, let me just show you to her door. So don't That's worry about awesome. the selling.
0: Just come find me on the internet. That's awesome. I love that. Well, thank you so much. This was so much fun. I had such a blast talking with you and, and hearing your journey and getting some great advice on productivity and coffee and all of the stuff. Thanks so much for having me, Chelsea. Thank you for enjoying another episode of From Overwhelmed to Under Control. I hope you're feeling one step closer to your goals. Don't forget to check out the show notes and follow along on Instagram at Chelsea and Coaching. I look forward to talking to you soon.